Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. I don't really know what day it is, but I just guessed Tuesday. I think I'm right. It's weird, you know, week eight or nine of this uh, coronavirus quarantine. We're going to keep these shows rolling along. We got Dan Weber and Keely. You are talking about USC football. We'll talk about the Pac-12 potentially falling even further behind the rest of the Power Five. Could college football go on without the Pac-12? So we'll talk about that. We got a lot of questions from all you guys. Talk about recruiting, uh, lots of different topics. We got an exciting Tunnel Vision show coming up live with uh, USC's chief of staff, Brandon Sosta, that'll be Thursday at noon, so make sure you check that out. Lots of fun stuff going up on the site. Tons of content. I know it's a weird time. We are still producing tons of USC football and recruiting content, so you make sure you go check it out all the way up on uscfootball.com. If you have any questions for our show here, you guys like to send us questions, keep sending them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too, 424 424- 254-9141 is the number. I think we got four voicemails for you on the show today. If you listen to the Harvey Hyde show, we had five voicemails from Curtis from Reno Valley. Just one of them today on the show, but Curtis does like calling in, so we had a, a fun show about that. We have one response to one of Curtis's voicemails uh, on the show, too. So we'll get to all of that uh, on the show. If you want to subscribe, we love that. Please subscribe. Tell your friends about the Parastyle Podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Tune in iHeart, uh, Spotify, anywhere you can get a podcast, please uh, subscribe. Leave us some positive feedback. A five-star review is always awesome. And you know what's always awesome? Talking to my friend, Keely Yor. What's up, Keely? How are you? Hello, Ryan. What a long intro. I'm glad you got that in one breath. You didn't pass out. Well done. I'm very you proud know, of you. <laughs> one take. One, it's, it's been a crazy day. It's been a crazy mm-hmm. couple of months trying to get, I'm getting new internet installed in the office right now. So there's, there's that stuff going on. So if there's any interruptions, that's my my bad. We're getting some better internet installed uh, during this quarantine. Uh, we also have Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. How are you? Doing very good. Uh I would say uh, we could uh, use Ryan's intro as a uh, as a backup coronavirus test. If you can get through that thing in one uh, <laughs> one breath, you're good to go. Nice. Yeah. Um, thanks. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, we want to jump into everything. Before we do, I want to thank uh, our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Now, if you would check it out, the website at Trader Joe's, TraderJoe's.com. Uh, I think they were missing a fearless flyer recently. They got the fearless flyer back, uh, May, 2020 it's up there. Some different products. The brownie cookie is the one that caught my eye. So I'm going to have to head over to Trader Joe's right after the show and pick up some of those. Is it a brownie? Is it a cookie? It's both. As soon as I saw that there's other good stuff on there. There's a cheese and tomato pizza, uh, some olive herbs and mixed nuts, like all that stuff's good. But once I saw the brownie cookie, then I'm like, I got to go. So uh, make sure you go check out Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been you know, staying really safe. And we appreciate the, the work that they are doing in there to try to keep everyone safe and keep them fed, keep their, uh, you know, the, their liquor cabinets open you know, with their wine, beer and wine and all the food that you need, the produce, all that stuff. So we do appreciate uh, Trader Joe's being a part of the show for as long as they have been. And I am definitely heading over to get those brownie cookies uh, next. But check out the Fearless Flyer over on uh, TraderJoe's.com. All right. We got to get into some stuff. Dan, we were talking pre-show about uh, John Wilner does a great job sending out those, the hotline newsletters and uh, some interesting points he was talking about. I know you have a column kind of coming up on this, but it could become this regional thing. We don't have a czar in college football. We have, you know, these kind of regional fiefdoms or whatever, where there's the Pac-12, the SEC, the Big 12 and all that stuff. It just seems like there's a distinct possibility that the Pac-12 could get left behind and maybe California doesn't allow sporting events where the SEC, they do. And, and does college football go on as scheduled without the Pac-12 or part of the Pac-12? Uh, so I'll get your thoughts on that, Dan, and we'll get uh, Keeley's thoughts afterwards. Well, uh, two, I guess a week ago, the SEC said, hey, we can and we will. 
the Big Ten new commissioner uh, just pretty much said, "Hey, we're good to go. We got enough, you know, teams to play one another, and uh, and we're strong enough in every way that you have to be strong." The Big Twelve, I think, every state in the Big Twelve is open um, to business now, or, or you know, getting back, uh, reopening. And then there's the Pac-12, which has some of the best states in the country in terms of how they're doing vis-a-vis, you know, the COVID-19 virus. But uh, everybody in the country is now saying, what's going to happen with the Big Tw- or the Pac-12? And uh, are they going to be allowed to open? And especially the focus is on California. And and how is that going to go? And, and what happens if some of the conferences in the Power Five conferences decide to go and the Pac-12, I mean, one of the problems is you have so many schools in the Pac-12 don't seem to be very close to making the decision as to whether they're going to be back on campus in the fall. And if you're not back on campus in the fall, you really can't play football. And USC and Stanford and uh, the Cal schools, you're not seeing a lot of optimistic, yeah, we're going to be back, or yeah, we're trying to be back, or yeah, we plan to be back, or Whatever you're not seeing that, and and when you hear that Stanford says, well, you know, they're on the quarter system. Well, maybe we'll we'll, we'll know in June, or USC saying, you know, maybe we won't know till July. And you're thinking, How? you almost if you don't know till July, and you're a semester school that's going to open in the uh, would have to have classes started by August, end of August. That's almost not enough time. So whether the Pac-12 people will look at it and say, you know, we kind of got to get this going so we know what's going to happen. Or whether they say, you know, football, get in line behind all the other stuff that we're doing. Uh, Where does that leave the Pac-12? Where does that leave USC? What if some of the Pac-12 schools, let's say eight of them, decide, hey, we're in good shape. Our states are in good shape. We're going to go play. And what if California says, eh, we're not – this uh, watch this uh, issue because it could really become something that we have no idea where it's going. That could have so many ramifications, and you know, I mean, one of the ones John Willner pointed out, the unintended consequences. The NFL comes back in July with kind of a free agent draft, where guys that would have been eligible for the NFL. But let's say they get dropped off the team or for whatever reason, don't make it academically, have a legal issue or whatever. The NFL can draft you in July. Well, if you're going to a school that can't even tell you we're going to have football uh, in September, you could well just say the heck with coming back. I'm not I don't know if I'm going to have a program or not. And apparently the NFL is aware of this. Obviously, they are. And that there may be a whole lot more guys available to draft if that's the case. And a lot of those guys would be USC guys. Yeah, that would be a kind I mean, of worst my- case scenario. Um, losing, you know, the, the team that looks like it's pretty stacked for USC, losing a lot, bunch of guys like basically to free agency. Uh, yeah. I, 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 how does the program you know, survive if that happens. I mean, really, that's a, that's a program killer. Yeah. In a lot where USC is right now, that's a program killer. I don't know that USC could afford to go down with anybody else in California or the PAC 12. That might be one of those scenarios where you got to take the law in your own hands and say, look, I'm sorry if you guys aren't going to do something. We are how you do that. You know, is President, you know, Carol Folt, is she strong enough, tough enough to just say, hey, you know, football really matters to this university and our our community. And we're not going to take it, you know, lying down. Or do you say, well, you know, we just don't know. It's hard to, to, you know, go it alone. I don't know. Uh, We'll find out (laughs) if uh, in some ways that may be uh, a really – major issue in terms of the success of her presidency at USC, uh, the way this is all playing out right now. I'm just curious what Larry Scott is saying in those meetings that Mike Bone keeps talking about that they have every day with the athletic directors, how much 
faith do you put in Larry Scott to unite the conference versus having kind of people split based on what their state says? I mean, for you guys, when do you think is is the right time or month for a school to decide what they're going to do or make a decision on whether or not they can have uh, college sports like football go on in fall? Well, don't you have to kind of tell kids, say you're a freshman coming to USC, when do they have to tell you, pack your stuff and come on? I mean, those are kids, you know, that work like crazy to, you know, get get admitted to USC. And now they're sitting at home. And I'm guessing that all of those kids could have gone somewhere else and maybe still could go somewhere else. How long can you ask them just to sit there and tell them, you know, maybe we'll be on campus, maybe we'll be online but hang in there. I don't know. I think you gotta you gotta get that going earlier than what was mentioned in that state of the, you know, university message that said maybe not till July. I I just don't think that can possibly happen. I, I, that that's way too late. Uh, you know, for USC, I think. Yeah. And, and USC is one of the really iffy schools in the Pac-12 right now. When they look, when the people kind of go down school by school, they look at USC, and it almost seems like. And I, I think the Cal schools are obviously in that. They've got a, you know, the president, Chancellor Janet Napolitano, is leaving in in August, and she kind of already said, I don't think how we can possibly. Uh, do it. We're not even sure. You know, we'll be have maybe some online classes, and we'll maybe have some classes, maybe not. Uh, I think the the Cal schools are are, are in some trouble, uh, and that would you know limit UCLA. Stanford doesn't seem like they're all that interested, and in, and in coming up, which is, seems kind of crazy for you know Stanford, but they have a smaller you know student body, but. Uh, is that going to put USC on an island where they may have to start looking somewhere else? I don't know, but um, they, they're going to need some dynamic, uh, unafraid leadership, I think, to get through this. I think the leadership point is key, Dan, for sure. And I think it has to start at the Pac-12 level. It's got to start with Larry Scott. He can't let the Pac-12 fall behind. If there's pressure from the governor, Gavin Newsom, or from uh, you know, Mayor Garcetti, whatever it is, and someone's trying to limit something, I think you have to have the greater good. You know, if, if a lot of other people are doing it and you just don't feel comfortable doing it, but most other people are, you're not going to really get in trouble for going along with the herd. And I think if, if the rest of college football is ready to go and the Pac-12 isn't or California isn't or whatever, I think that's just one of those situations where Larry Scott has to step in and make sure they're going to be in lockstep with the other conferences. And obviously you don't want to put people's lives in danger, but if the majority of people are all ready to open up and you're still going to be, you know, too conservative about it and not want to happen, not let it happen. Um, I mean, I, I don't see that that is a, a, a scenario that's going to really help uh, the Pac-12 stay in line with the rest of the Power Five. And it's, it's, it's really important to not fall further behind. You can't let something like a virus let, you know, you can't have college football go on without the Pac-12 because – you could argue people are arguing that it's going on without the Pac-12 already. You can't actually have it go on uh, without the Pac-12, and we're you know you see it this you know they say all politics are local. You see things at regional levels. I mean, we're in LA County. I can't golf in LA County. I can drive to Orange County and golf. I could drive to Ventura County and golf, and you know that that stuff will get rectified. But whatever reason, LA there's more. You know, there's more cases there. They're going to be a little bit more conservative about things. But once we get to this bigger picture, I think you have to let if if the SEC can play and the ACC can play and the the Big Ten can play and the Big Twelve can play, you just at the Pac-12 you just have to say, okay, we're going to play too. Like you can't just say, you know, that's we're not going to because we don't feel like it's the right thing to do. If everyone else is doing it at this point, you kind of have to do it. If there's only one, if only the SEC wants to play, then you know that's fine. It won't really count if they want to go and play some college football. But if everyone's willing to go, you can't be the only one that's left behind and say, nope, we're not going to play. And this, we're going to stick to our guns. Like, I just don't think that's going to work. You know, there are already people contending that it's really no longer the power five. It's the power four uh, without USC or without, excuse me, the PAC 12. But if they would pull out, it absolutely would officially become the power four and those schools on the West coast. And I would think schools like Oregon and Washington and Arizona State and 
you know, Arizona, they wouldn't put up Utah. I mean, Colorado, none of those schools are going to put up with that. Uh, they can't. Uh, California, you know, somebody has to point it out to, you know, both Governor Newsom and, and Mayor Garcetti that you, you just can't go down. I mean, they sh- and I, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. And people said, oh, you're, you're being kind of mean to Mayor Garcetti. I just said those guys shouldn't be out there telling you we're not going to have football in September or you're not going to have fans in the stands or whatever. We don't know yet. We don't know enough. I mean, what does that mean, for example, in California for the Rams and the Chargers and the you know, 49ers? Are they going to tell them? What are they going to tell them? I mean, there's a whole lot more going on than just you know, college football in California, uh, pro football in California. And the state's got to, you know, kind of be part of the rest of the country. And you know, there are a whole lot of people going to go involved and, and, and get involved in this decision. But what, what kind of disturbs you is where you see ideas turn into plans in these other conferences with kind of uh, a confidence that we're going to figure this out. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to get it done, blah, blah, blah. We're not hearing that. In California, we're not hearing that from USC and Stanford and Cal. We're just not, and uh, and that's not a good thing. That, that's not, and we're not hearing that from Mike. We didn't hear much from Mike Bone in his interview, other than I'm an optimist and let's hope it works out. However, that happens, and we're sure not hearing anything from Larry Scott. When was the last time Larry Scott was heard from? Yeah, we haven't heard from him. Uh, I'll try to talk to Brandon Sosna about this a little bit. But like Dennis Dodd filed something to CBS Sports. He just tweeted this out saying that uh, there's a significant chance FBS conferences don't start the season together per Notre Dame athletic director, Jack Swarbrick. So, I mean, there's there's definitely that thought out there. And if you're talking about a, a conference that wouldn't be starting on time and others would, the first one that comes to mind would be the Pac-12. And yet it's, it's, it's a conference that has, has done really well vis-a-vis the coronavirus. Now, one of the negatives about the Pac-12 is they can start whenever they want in terms of weather. They do not have the weather imperative, you know, breathing down their neck like the Big Ten, for example. Big Ten's kind of got to get started on time or it's going to make it a lot harder to finish on time. Pac-12 can say, well, you know, we can kind of do whatever we want, but then, you know, what happens to the USC-Notre Dame game? What happens to the, you know, you can say, for example, the Pac-12 say, we're going to back it off for a month. And and does that mean throw away the USC Alabama game and the, you know, $6 million payday or whatever? Uh, You know, do you want the Pac-12 making those decisions for you? I don't know. I don't think so. No, you don't. See, well, I I understand the sentiment of everything, but what do you do if the state of California tells you you can't do mass gatherings? Mike Bone talked about how the key would be students being able to come back on campus. What would USC do if students are on campus? Do you move your football team outside of California? I just don't get the logistics of this. I get the sentiment you're saying, Ryan, about how you can't fall behind. I just don't know how you can do that when you have state directives prohibiting your university, let alone your athletic department. I think you you have to fight back. And you look at what Orange County did with the beaches. So, you know, you guys are both Orange County people. Um, they were really upset that the that the governor closed down the Orange County beaches. They gave a proposal to the government. They went to a judge and the judge overturned. They didn't get to, uh, you know, go back to the beaches. So then they gave a new proposal to Gavin Newsom. He liked it. They said, hey, this is great. You've got to take these precautions and open up. So I think it's one of those situations where, Hey, you can't do mass gatherings. Okay, well, here's how we're going to do football. Here's how we're going to do fall camp. Here's how we're and here's what you're going to do. You propose that and then get that to go through. I don't. I don't think you can just say, "Well, they said no gathering, so we can't have football." I think you. That's one of those things where, like, look, you have to have football. Here's the economic reasons behind it, and here's how we're going to do it safely. Well, I think the other thing is you've got to get a decision from everybody involved that classes will be held in the fall that they're going to start on time, uh, you know, you bring the students back to campus. Now, if you have to start games, I don't know about like the NFL where you can say, well, the TV money is so much that we're going to have to start on time and, and, and we'll play some games maybe without you know, full stadiums or whatever. 
if you had to say, okay, here's what we're going to do at the Coliseum. Only season ticket holders and students could come to the game. So what, a, you know, you get 35 or 40,000 at a game and you have some semblance of, you know, social distancing or whatever. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's crazy, but if you get a chance, if, if, if the decision is not to be on campus, it's over. I mean, you can't, you can't, I mean, USC couldn't play football if that's the case. The decision is, yes, we're going to be on campus the last week of August and all of September and October, November for the fall semester. Then if California wouldn't open up for the summer, I think you would be within your rights to go to Las Vegas, for example, for your camp and say, since we know we're going to be on campus and it's going to be legal and everything's going to be fine when we get to that point, we're not going to lose the chance to do that by not being able to practice in the summer. So, And, and to be honest, college teams almost universally uh, practice off campus in the summer. Back in the days when basically college was uh, fall semester, spring semester, and everybody took the summer off to either work or they were, you know, internships or traveled or whatever. Uh, normally, the college football team was the first thing back in action for the fall semester. And mostly they went to camps and they didn't stay on campus. But uh, that would be not unheard of at all if USC said, yeah, I guess we got to go to Las Vegas or, you know, for the whatever. They're really talking now July 15th would be the start of two weeks of team activities. And then you've got the four weeks in August to get ready for the season. That seems like kind of the, the way everybody's going. And so, you know, if USC had to say, hey, we got to go live in a hotel for six weeks in uh in Las Vegas, Las Vegas be happy to have you there. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and then just do it. But you need somebody saying, we're going to do it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get it done. And there's got to be some pressure, I think, on USC. How can they not bring the students back for, um, for fall classes if many of the other schools in the Pac-12 and in the nation are bringing students back? How could you not? Yeah. Um. Well, Kelly, if you don't have anything else, do you want to talk about the uh, Mike Bone State of Troy uh, part one? I guess has yeah. been out already. Nothing, nothing major, but but little bit of stuff, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on it already. Part two came out, I believe, last night as well. But basically, Bone just talked about um, given you know what Cincinnati did with one of its non-revenue sports, dropping that sport. He was asked, "Is there a possibility that USC could do that?" Um, and he said it's the worst case, last case scenario to drop one of USC's non-revenue uh, sports. So he said he wants to keep all 21. Um, he said that college football, meaning the ticket sales and the the TAF, the Trojan Athletic Fund donations that come with that, uh, is 85% of USC's uh, athletic department budget. So obviously college football is huge in order to get that going next season. Um, and basically that was pretty much it. He said there's a lot of logistics that come with uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen in fall. He said even if uh, college football was given the green light, there's still so many logistic, well, logistical things that you have to figure out. Like, do you clean the locker rooms different? Do you use different transportation methods? So stuff like that. So nothing really concrete. He just said that they're having a plan in place. They have multiple plans based on uh, what could happen. But again, nothing really concrete. And I don't think you can at this point uh, say anything definite. So just another update, but it was his first update in a month uh, from USC's athletic director. You know, what I, I thought was a little weird uh, talking about, well, with the social distancing, would we have to get a bigger plane you know, for road trips or uh, two planes or whatever? And I'm thinking, if they're still having to social distance in the plane or the locker room, you can't play football. Yeah. I mean, how can you practice? I mean, that to me, when he starts talking about that, I think, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> we have to be, by the end of August, September, we have to be in a different place from where we are right now. So planning, you know, the possibility of having to have a couple of planes to go on a road trip because you got a social, you know, keep the middle seat open. Come on. I mean, that That just seems silly to me. You have, we have to be in a different place in terms of 
options to treat people that get sick and testing to make sure that you know you know who's who's healthy and and all of that but i i know people say well what happens if your offensive line you know come down with it and you got to quarantine them and you got a big we're not going to do that. I don't, I mean, you can't be playing if that's the case, but if somebody comes down sick, you get them tested and treated and you go ahead. I mean, I, I don't think what we do right now is exactly what we're going to be doing at the end of August. Gosh, we got to hope not. And if, if we are, then the whole country isn't going to be playing football. I mean, we got to figure there's going to be some progress in how we handle all of this. And, and it seems like, I, I was a little bit puzzled by some of the topics. It's tough. I think I guess, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Keely. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, I think I guess his sentiment was that they're planning for every option. I don't know if, if the planes or whatever is a, a example to really hold on to. I think he was just trying to make the point that they're looking at every possibility in order to get things off the ground in fall. If you're doing like uh, separated planes, it almost <laughs> would be like, well, the offensive line can practice together, but they can't be around the the wide receivers or something. Like you would have to be separate, like somehow keep everyone separated. Or they, just, or they can't sit. To, they yeah. they can't sit together on the plane, but they can line up on the practice field or yeah. hit one another. Or, uh, you know, or do you, for example, are you going to have to wipe down the the sled after every hit? <laughs> okay, whoop. Okay, managers, come here, wipe down all the pads. But like corners covering, you know, receivers, uh, obviously offensive versus defensive line drills. Like, yeah, there's, I think if you're playing football, you're not social distancing. Like you can't, like there's, you know, unless everyone's quarantined somehow, but you can't, you can't have it both ways. What do you do? What do you, what do you do when you're throwing, you know, you're you're running your passing drills and Keaton Slovis throws it. Are they going to? intercept it in the middle with gloves, wipe it down so that when it gets to the receiver, it's clean. Come on. I mean, please yeah, stop it. I think the thing is we have to get, we're going to know a lot more in the next month. You know, even California is starting to open up things more. We've had some States that have opened up and it's controversial, you know, Georgia or Florida or whatever. Well, if they open up and everything seems to be fine, then more people will start opening up. There's going to be some guinea pigs out there. And I think we will just get, you hope that testing keeps improving. You hope that the antibody tests keep improving and you'll get more data for that. But you really want to see where this goes over the next few weeks. And by the time you get to, to mid June, do you know, like, okay, this makes a whole lot of sense or you don't. Um, so I, I think we'll know a lot more by then. And, have a lot more data and should be able to make better decisions. It's when people make these sweeping decisions now, like you said, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when it's a politician versus, uh, you know, a, a, a you know an infectious disease specialist. Um, you know, you want to hear that from them, not necessarily like the people that get elected. Although, you know, the problem with some of the infectious disease specialists is, you know, and I still remember starting coaching and you had very, almost no, uh, sports uh, orthopedic guys. Okay, you didn't. You just didn't have guys that did. And so they would, you know, you'd get a kid injured, and they'd say, "Well, just stay off of it for the next six months." And you'd say, "Well, no, we got a season. And it's going to take. It's going to be over in four months." And, and those were kind of the, you know, the the position often that you got from docs was, "Well, does that hurt? Yeah. Well, don't don't do that then. Well, no, you can't. You're playing sports. You got to get back in the Sweet thing, but it is hard. I was lis- listening to Warren Buffett, the great, unbelievable, you know, greatest investor of all time. And he was yesterday, he was explaining he dumped all his airline stocks. Okay. And everybody's like, mm, man, that really doesn't look good. Obviously, it's been really a tough time for the airline. So, but then he says, but never bet against the US. Uh, and it was like, well, that's kind of two different messages because, and he admitted he's betting against the airlines. So, I mean, we are getting kind of, it's hard to, you know, to know which way to go here. There are a lot of media people, for example, that are trying to tell America, just stay shut down and everybody will be fine. I don't know that we can stay shut down. It looks like you got to figure out how do we open up in, in a safe way, in a responsible way. But, uh, 
one of the test cases, I think, is going to be football in the fall. I, I think without a doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, should we jump into questions, Keely? Let's do it. Um, let's see. We got a bunch of voicemails. Let's uh, let's let's start off with this one since it's kind of on topic of what we were just talking about. Here you go. Yes, this is uh, Russ, the number one uh, Trojan fan living in New Jersey, and I got a question for your staff or Harvey High or Dan Weber. I just want to see what the percentage is that we'll have a college football season or a pro football season this year, because I think if something goes wrong, we don't. There's going to be a whole lot of people upset in this country. And number two, is there a, what's the chances where we can get a new uh, commissioner in in the next year or so? Larry Scott has done a terrible job. He's ruined the Pac-12. He's the highest-paid commissioner, and I just want to say, in the Pac-12 channel is, is is garbage compared to the other channels. And just want to see your comments and fight on from New Jersey. And thanks again, you guys do a great job. And I have a couple friends listening from New Jersey too. Thanks again. Bye bye. Uh, thanks, Russ. That's great. Uh, I'm. I hate to say this, but for a college football fan in New Jersey he might have to move uh, to watch college football this fall. I think, I just think the, the metropolitan New York area is, man, it's going to be hard to figure out how do we get football there. I mean, there are so many issues going uh, in that area that's just totally separate from the rest of the country. And, um, and Rutgers, I mean, one of the reasons the Big Ten brought Rutgers in was they wanted the New York television market and the only reason they brought Rutgers in. But uh, I could see, for example, when they start looking at that Big Ten schedule, as much as teams would say, hey, let's go play Rutgers, that's an easy win. I have a feeling you might have some teams saying, I'm not sure we really want to take the team into you know, New Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, not that far from uh, you know Manhattan. So, so I think I think New Jersey, New York City. I guess the only Division One program near New York City is uh, West Point. Is that far enough away to be safe? I don't know, um, but I think they've got. I think you got a problem there uh, as far as uh, Larry Scott, man. Join the you know get in line uh, with that opinion because it's just who knew though that the you know we all thought the next tv contract was going to be the big issue and all that for larry to have to deal with and uh it's uh happening a lot quicker than that and i don't know how larry uh how larry survives this uh it's going to take some real smart uh solid strong leadership and we just haven't heard much from him at all yeah with the the negotiations for the new contract being in 2024, you got to have that kind of going by 2022 at least. I, I think, and that's when his contract comes up. I think by next year they'll be starting to put plans in place to replace him. That's just my guess. Um, there's only I think three presidents left that were the ones that hired him, so his supporters have dwindled. Uh, especially how he handles this. I mean, this could go poorly. Uh, that would be a nail, kind of a nail in his coffin. Or you know, maybe, maybe he saves his job by navigating navigating this, you know, really well. But I don't think you can give him the benefit of the doubt and let him negotiate the next round of TV contracts. He just screwed up the Pac-12 network too badly. Yeah. You need to get all that fixed. You need to get rid of seven networks and have one, and make it good and show football and basketball on it and some other stuff. But you got to focus on the the football and the basketball. They they sold the the idea of having all these live. Uh, broadcasts on there and they get zero ratings, like literally zero. So you can't do that. You need the football face. You need it to be widely distributed and it's just none of those. So I don't think you can give them a chance to do the next round of TV contracts. And I think USC is going to be a big part of that. They're going to be uh, at the forefront trying to push forward and make sure that they're put in a, a better spot than what they were in the contract from uh, 2012. Uh, was it 2012? I guess it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another problem they've got is uh, when you talk to TV people, they say the first thing they would do is get rid of the Pac-12 network and, you know, devolve all of the soccer, water polo, all that stuff to the, you know, the college uh, TV stations. Every college now has the ability to produce uh, game coverage and to 
distribute it through their own uh, website and all of that. And that, uh, that probably you need a real TV expert to run the Pac-12 network, however it becomes the one. And you probably need to bring it into L.A., where you've got access to all the facilities and, um, you know, rent out the, whatever you're paying for that, for those, uh, studios and that, and, and you don't have access to, to a great deal of talent in the Bay area and San Francisco and, and bring it into LA and make it work for a lot less money. The networks that are working have, you know, created, uh, uh deals, big 10 with Fox and, uh, SEC with ESPN. And, you know, they work much better, do a better job and cost much less, uh, you know, to do a better job. And the Pac-12, Larry is too entangled with the way the Pac-12 networks developed. And I'm not sure he could ever give that up. And it's always been one of the justifications that he used for getting paid so much because he said, well, basically, you know, I'm a TV mogul and a conference commissioner. I need to be paid this much. Well, I, 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 it's hard to see them doing the right thing in terms of TV uh, with Larry as the guy doing it because he's proved he can't do it. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, you save a crap load of money just by getting rid of him because you, you hire someone for half his salary that's better at their job and you save two and a half million a year. So uh, what do you got next, Keely? We have a question that's similar to what we were talking to at the beginning of the pod. It's from DRB1981SC from the P. He says, I'd love to get Dan uh, Dan to comment on the following idea. Football without fans may make sense for the NFL, but I don't think it may make sense for college football. Yes, colleges need the revenue, but the game without fans make it, makes it only about the money and not about amateur sport. How about this? Just have live attendance by the college students. Plenty of social distancing and back to the roots of college football. Well, I think that's half right. I, I mean, I think if they're really not comfortable with where they are in terms of, uh, you know, medicine, therapeutics and uh, testing and all of that, and they still feel like there there needs to be some social distancing and some uh, careful uh, you know, ways in which uh, you see the crowd and all that, I, I would go for season ticket holders and the students. And you, you've got enough room in the Coliseum, then I think you could do that in a comfortable way. I mean, what they're finding, and again, we're not getting enough coverage on how this is, that almost nobody has transmitted the disease outside. That if you take out all the public transportation and all the nursing homes and all the in-hospital trans transmissions and all the multi-generational families in high-rises and elevators and all of that, you take all of that, they... I'm told that the research can barely find anyone who uh, had a tr transmission out, out the wards, that it just doesn't happen, that you need a fairly extensive uh, contact, like 10 minutes or so of, of contact. And, and that just doesn't happen much. Now, there, there's one study of a high school gym in Indiana, one of those typical big Indiana high school gyms, uh, where there was a big tournament game played, you know, crowd full, and a number of those people are sick. They were sitting next to one another. One one of them was sick, and it it transferred. But I don't know that football is kind of the way it's going to transfer. If you, you know, if you have now the crowds sitting you know, right next to one another, you know, standing room only and all that, it's outdoors. But I don't think we we have a good answer there. But um, but I, I think we're going to know enough more to figure out how, how do we have to do that, you know, in the fall. But but I, I, I think football could go with, you know, season ticket holders and students and you'd have enough comfort level with that kind of spacing. Or maybe we'll be able to get everybody in and we'll feel like we can handle it. We can uh, test every, you know, test everybody and we can get them treated and it won't get serious. Uh, that's the thing they've got to do. Got to figure out how do we intervene for the people who get sick so they don't get really, really sick. That's what that's the thing that has to happen. We won't have a vaccine for football season. But if you get enough treatment that people aren't going to get that really, really sick, um, I think you got a shot. We got a question from our buddy Curtis. Um, 
I'll play it for you now. And he's, he's put throwing a little wager out there. So we'll see. Here we go. Hi, this is Curtis. I just heard Mandel's top 25 just released for post spring ball. USC is the 12th ranked team. Alabama is the second ranked team. Alabama is going to be the best team on our schedule in the first game. They should be favored. They will be favored in every game that they play. Alabama will be. This brings me to Don from Chicago. You said if we were willing to bet our house that USC beats Alabama. No, most humans are not that stupid to put up the deed for their house in Vegas who's going to ask for points or take away points for a game for you to double your money. But i got a solution for you. I'll bet you right now, Don, this is Curtis, $100, USC beats Alabama straight up, no points, doing payable at Heritage Hall the Monday after the game, high noon. Just like Shaq would say, can you dig it? Curtis. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> no points. Curtis, come on. I'll take the no back, points. Curtis. You've got to, you've <laughs> got to take some points. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's impossible, but you've got to ask for points. At least. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one. I, I'll get it on a Curtis, but I'll do charity. So like if, uh, if USC wins, well, no. What I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll donate to charity, or whatever, for whatever it is. But yeah, you got to get get some points though, Curtis. You can't. You're gonna get like it's like gonna be like a three touchdown uh, point spread. You can't go no points. Don versus Curtis. What is the world coming to? This is an interesting development for sure. Maybe it's strategic because Don is in Chicago and Curtis is saying you have to be basically you have to show up at noon at Heritage Hall on okay. Monday. So. That's not even where the game is. So Don would have to fly out to Los Angeles and get to get his hundred bucks. Um, you know, I'm thinking if USC wins the game, Curtis won't even care about that hundred dollars. True. <laughs> That's true. Great point. <laughs> nice. We have an email from our buddy Steve in Poway who says, Dear Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, isn't the good news from this year's NFL draft the fact that USC had so many eligible guys stay this year and so few seniors setting up an incredible fall 2020 season in terms of experience? By the way, it isn't related to the fact that this year's National Signing Day was so disappointing. In part, yes, in part, but because it was sp- because it was such a small class. Steve in Poway. Yeah, I mean, that's the point I always try to make to people, you know, and I know people think, oh, you're too optimistic or this. Yeah, got to be optimistic. You got to figure out how do you make that work for you? Okay, you lose uh, to Ohio State, the number one uh, first round draft picks of all time and and Notre Dame's breathing down your neck on all time overall uh, draft picks. But by having just two and, and getting a first round and an early second rounder, you got a lot of guys that could have been in the draft and, 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 and probably would have been picked. Uh, and they're all at USC still. So I think that's the, that's the way to look at it. How do we make this work for, I, I think if you're running a football program every single day, you got to think, what are, what can we do to make this work for us? And that's what you make work for you coming out of that, uh, out of the NFL draft is we got a lot of guys coming back. We got some talent. We could have a really good year. Let's get excited about this. So, yeah, that's how I would uh, I would take it and pitch it and and try to make it work work for you. That's all you can do. And I would say it wasn't that a bunch of guys that were eligible to get drafted came back. I mean, you could say like Tyler Vaughn's or JT. There's a couple guys, but it really was that the failure of the 2016 class with so many transfers. That's why there weren't that many seniors last year. So many guys from that class. Michael Pittman's class, um, they, they're just out. Like they weren't around anymore. So they transferred out of the program. We, I, I went through them all on the last podcast. It's amazing how many guys transferred out. So that's part of the reason why they didn't leave. You know, they weren't gone from the NFL draft because they had left already. Yeah, you look at Jamel Cook, Trayvon Sidney, Josh Imator Bebe, Kerry Angeline, Oluwole Butiku. That's all, th- all those guys are in Michael Pittman's class. Yeah. 
and they left already. So those are guys that could have been drafted. USC, you know, just from the guys you recruited, could have had a whole bunch of guys in this draft, but they're all gone. So, so that was uh, they they had already left. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't look at that as a positive. Like there's you don't say well there just there weren't that many guys, so that's that's good. I mean it is good that USC's got a lot of guys coming back, but there was a whole bunch of guys that could have been in the draft this past cycle and weren't because they transferred out a year or two earlier. Yeah, it's a different USC issue, but still an issue. Yeah. Uh, we we have a question from our buddy Eric in Duck Country who says, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley, if the one-time transfer rule is passed, do you think it would ultimately help or hurt USC's recruiting? Would even more California players sign with USC knowing that they can easily transfer if things don't work out? Or would more California players leave thinking they could come back? Thanks, Eric in Duck Country. Hmm. Run that one by me again. I think I got... I think I kind of got lost on the uh, on the translation there, Keely. So basically, Eric wants to know: Would a one-time transfer rule help or hurt USC in recruiting? Basically, would more California players sign with USC, given that they could ultimately transfer more easily and stay home initially, or would it hurt USC with California players wanting to leave if anything happened in California, et cetera? I mean, I think right now it would help you just because there are kids who maybe have left uh, when they didn't think much of USC's prospects, and now they might be looking at USC and saying, you know, it wouldn't be such a bad place to be right now. And then you've got the whole issue of uh, you know dealing with COVID-19 and who wants to get on airplanes and who wants to have their family have to get on airplanes, as I wrote today, uh, and, and fly to I mean, for example, I, my sister lives in Greenville, South Carolina. She has three sons who all are graduates of Clemson. Clemson's like, whatever, 45 miles from, from Greenville. Uh, since I've been to California, uh, I've been to Greenville once. And I didn't even go all the way to Clemson. Uh, it's a hard, long trip. And with a number of changes in flights, you can't obviously can't fly there directly. And I'm thinking if you're a Southern California kid and you're looking at the next few years of having to make those trips and, and your whole family has to make those trips back and forth every time. Um, man, I, I, so I think, yeah, if, if the one time transfer rule came in now, I think you might be seeing some uh, Brew McCoy action. Uh, coming back this way. So I think usually it'll work in USC's favor just because there are more players here and and more you know, leave and more might want to come back. That yeah. would be my take. I think it's kind of a mixed bag. But though the thing right now, I think it would be bad. I think it's probably better for USC to get that implemented next year, 21 instead of 20. One, because you probably keep JT Daniels if it's implemented next year. If it's implemented this year, you lose JT Daniels. So that's one for sure that would be gone, or almost for sure. But as we talked about at the top of the show, with the Pac-12 being in the state that it is, what if it was delayed? What if the California schools couldn't play football? Then everyone could just transfer out and go to SEC or the Big Ten or wherever. You could lose a lot of players this year specifically if there was that one-year exemption. So... I like it for USC longer term. I don't think this year with the uncertainty with the Pac-12 and with JT Daniels, I think it's probably probably hurts USC this year and that would help in future years. How about this scenario? Let's say Stanford just can't get its act together and the two uh, Cal and UCLA have uh, bureaucratic issues involving the state and USC says, hey, we're going to, going to, we're going to go it alone. Could you pick off a couple of kids from each one of those programs and say, hey, if there's a, if the one-time transfer rule went in right away, would USC be able to pick a handful of kids from the state of California and say, you know, we might have a spot for you? I don't know. I mean, the numbers maybe don't say right now that there are that many spots open, but you just never know the way spots can open. But wouldn't that be something? Yeah, that would be interesting. All right, we'll do another voicemail for you. Here you go. Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Uh, Frank out of Irvine, class 2004. It's been a while since I've reached out to you guys. I um, just wanted to respond uh, to the podcast on for May 4th to Harvey Hyde and one of Curtis' questions about all the recruiting that's been going on. And 
you know, I think it's pretty embarrassing. I think, again, it's a testament of Clay Houghton that he had no control of his prior staff and making them recruit. The shows that he didn't have the experience to sit there and get on his coaches about recruiting. Because, again, as Coach Hyde said before and other coaches have said, you know, recruiting is a mindset. The fact that T. Martin had to pretty much – that we now that we know that T. Martin was the reason they had such good recruiting classes under Clay Owens. Um, I just think it's just so bad. I mean, thank God we have great, good recruiters and that we have a competent AD that brought in guys because I don't think this is Clay Alton doing it. I think it's the AD and Brandon Smotha putting the onus on Clay. So, I, again, it's just – I'm never going to be a Clay guy. Sorry, guys. I'm just not. Frank out of Irvine class of 2004. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the 54th class, I think it moved up, right, from 55th to 54th now. But to have the 54th-ranked class in the country last year, it's almost impossible. I mean, you almost, even if you tried, you would think you would end up in, what, one uh, one uh, four-star. That's impossible. And now you look at this week, I I saw the four of the top ten recruiters in the Pac-12 are USC guys including number one and two, Dante Williams and Craig Nivar. I mean, that should have never – that USC got to that place, T. Martin leaves, and no one chooses to recruit? How is that possible? Um, that, that alone, if you, if you had to say what's the, you know, the mortal sin from the previous staffs or whatever, that is inexcusable. I mean, there's no way that – uh, should have ever been allowed to happen by anybody, anytime, anywhere at USC. That is just beyond inexcusable. And to see what happens, I mean, these guys that USC has now can't even go off campus. They're, they can't go on campus. You know, they're quarantined. And look at what they're doing just by hustling their, tail, their tails off. I think, I think now it's eight, four stars compared to one last year. I mean, that's... It's just hard to even imagine last year. I mean, last year is so beyond belief bad uh, that, uh, yeah, it says a lot. But, again, Clay was here for last year. He's here for this year. And that's the thing about, you know, when we you get talking about Clay, he didn't prevent, and, and maybe he couldn't prevent it, and probably couldn't prevent it, but he didn't. And he's not keeping these guys from doing what what they're doing. Uh, it, but it's it's kind of weird, you know, that, that that happened under Clay. And then this is happening under Clay within months of one another. I mean, you know, draw your own conclusions. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, I you got to give credit to the department and the staff for bringing in really good recruiters. But it also shows some of the deficiencies that were there were self you know there were self inflicted wounds from before. You didn't need to have that many coaches on the staff that weren't good recruiters. And I you know people argue like why is recruiting been this surge? And to me, it's all about you have effort. People are trying. People are actually recruiting. They're putting in a lot of work, and that's what it is. So um, we also have another. This is more of a recruiting rankings question, but I'll uh, play this one for you guys. Hey, uh, podcast, I had a question about the recruiting rankings. Um, I think you guys have it all wrong. I think all the re- reporting uh, groups have it all wrong, the ranking schools. I think it should be based solely on the ratings of the stars. So, in other words, if, you know, if one class has four or five stars and then another class has, you know, 23 stars, the 23-star class is going to have way more recruiting points because they've got so many bodies even though they're lower-ranked stars, um, players. So then, you know, I would think that the team that had five five-star guys would have a much better recruiting class because the quality of player they, they got is much better. And obviously you can extrapolate that, that, you know, I think they've done studies, but those four- and five-star guys have a much better chance of making it to the NFL. And that would assume, I would assume, means that they are better quality players. Anyway, I'd like to know about that. I just think that the rankings are done wrong. It should be based on average stars. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for uh, the question. Just real quick on the rankings. It's, it all comes into consideration. And, and 
if you follow the numbers and who's getting drafted and stuff, it just gets more and more accurate every year. There is definitely a component to numbers. If you have a smaller class, like Lane Kiffin's 2013 class, I believe it was, was still ranked like in the top five, but only had like 13 guys because all of there was like five five stars and the rest were four stars. So you have that high quality. You're still going to get a high ranked class. You're, it's going to be tough for you to get like a number one class because if a class that's very similar in numbers, average star ranking, and it has 25 guys, it's going to be ranked higher than a class that has 13 guys. So the depth actually means something in the rankings as well. But the average star ranking is very important part of that. If you want to just look at recruiting rankings, you can look at the average star, just that alone. If that's all you care about is the average star rankings. So if I'm a class and I sign five people and they're all five stars, they're going to average a five star. But there's only five people in the class. That's not going to help you a whole lot in college football. You need deep classes. Now, you don't need it every year. Sometimes you get you know smaller classes. USC's class last year didn't mean to be that small, and it shouldn't have been that low of, star, of a star ranking. But I think they do a really good job with it. There's all the factors coming to play. Certainly how high-ranked the player is is the major component in those rankings. But depth of class also comes into to play as well. So, you know, an equal class, if you've signed all four stars and you have 23 players and, a, and another program signs all four stars, and they have 19 players. And those four stars, there's obviously there's it's not just all four stars are the same. There's rankings, there's numbers associated with each one. But if that average number is the same, the class with 23 will be ranked higher than the class with 19. But there doesn't doesn't mean if you sign 30, you get higher. There's gonna be a um, you know, there's there's a cutoff point there too. So it all that stuff is in the formula. You can see the formula online on 24-7 sports, but the average star ranking is a huge component of that. So it's not just how many players you sign. He used the word extrapolate, which I think is the first time anybody has used that word on the uh, podcast. <laughs> but, uh, I give him credit for that. I would say you've got three basic areas of data. You've got the number you recruit, you got the you know star rankings, and then you've got the uh, average uh, on those rankings. And you kind of got to put them all together. And, you know, you might have, not very big class, but if you get five five stars, you might be really it might be just exactly what you needed for that class with all the other guys you got sitting, you know, sitting back on the roster. Who knows? I mean, so obviously it's more art than science in some ways, uh, when you're trying to match your recruiting who you're recruiting. Can they play right away? Do they uh you know, do they fill the needs that you've got and all that? But I I don't know that you'll ever have the ability to be perfectly, you know, to come up with a scoreboard that says those guys definitely were better than these guys if they're, if they're really close. No, it's going to play out over the years, but uh, basically just look at every part of the, of the class uh, and, and you can kind of make up your own uh, decision in terms of uh, what that final number turns out to be. Uh, And again, you just want to be good. You want to be among the top teams. And if one team's above another one or whatever, mathematically, I don't know how much that matters, but I think there's other things do matter. The numbers and the average, I think that matters, uh, you know, a lot, but who's ahead of who you just want to be in the ballpark. You want to be in that discussion for USC. You would want to be in the, you know, in those top five every year. You want to be fighting for a spot in that top five, uh, and when you end up, you know, 50 spots below that, it's not the math. It's it's a lot. It's a, something much worse than the math uh, for last year. We have two more questions from me. Next one is a follow-up from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. He says, hi, Dan, Keeley, and Ryan. Dan, it was great to hear your personal experiences at the 1988 USC versus Notre Dame game and the game the following year at Notre Dame. Ryan, Larry Smith was a good recruiter. He had Tony Vaselli, w- Willie McGinnis, and other All-Pro and all, All-Americans on his teams, but he did lose con- control of the team after his public argument 
arguments with the Marinovich family. I was at his last game, the Freedom Bowl in the rain at Angel Stadium. It was as if his team was clueless on offense and couldn't stop the run in the second half. It was actually very sad after his promising start as a tough USC coach. The pressure of coaching at USC is not for everyone, even very good coaches. Dan, thanks again for your personal historic insights. Fight on and win. Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, I don't know that you could have handled the Marinovich situation at all, I, I don't know what you would do. I, I just, I, I, I think that was such a no-win deal from you know day one that uh, uh, you know, unless you just say nope, you're not coming here, and and you couldn't do that. It, it was an impossible situation. Nobody was. I, maybe you know, could Nick Saban have handled? I don't, I don't know if anybody could have. Ryan is finishing the the <laughs> internet chain, so I'm just going on to the next question, even though it, it was addressed to Ryan. So, Dan, we've had uh, the big questions from uh, Jim. He gave you another question this week, and he said, do you think USC can succeed as an independent like Notre Dame? USC is sharing revenue equally with Oregon State and Washington State, but money drives the bus. Yeah, I think it could have at one time. I, I think basically, uh, you know, when Pete had him going and the uh, However, I can't even I can't even remember thirty four straight wins and you know three straight potential or three peat in college football national championships and all of that. Uh, if you'd have been able to keep that going, uh, could USC have done what Notre Dame did? Absolutely, I think at that point, yes. Uh, can they get back to there? There are a lot more teams that are putting in a lot more effort and money and uh, into college football now, uh, so it it maybe doesn't break down as easily for USC to do that, but uh, I think USC should check out all the possibilities. Uh, you know, the potential Notre Dame deal, Notre Dame on the West Coast kind of thing. Obviously, you've got to get back to where you're challenging for a spot in the college football playoffs every year. And you know what would have happened had USC had an opportunity during the Pete years, <coughs> excuse me, uh, for a four-team playoff spot where they would have you know, almost every one of those years uh, made it into the four-team playoffs. How many more potential, uh, you know, national championships would that, would that amount, you know, meant? So, uh, so I think it's something to think about. Other conferences or something to think about. Uh, re, you know, uh, reconfigured Pac-12 might be something to think about. I just think at this point in time. Uh, USC's got to be thinking about everything. And as Ryan said, got to be thinking about, we're going to take over as a the leader in the Pac-12 the way USC was when it was a Pac, the Pac-8 and, um, and the Pac-10. And, and that hasn't happened. And I think you've got the potential with Mike Bone and, and, and Brandon Sosna uh, to get to that place uh the whole you know, as we argue about every single day with posters uh they've got to figure out the the clay helton component of that and again we don't know all of the uh, the rationale for bringing clay back this year but they, they're gonna have to wrestle with that and figure out uh how how do you handle that but uh i think all options should be on the table for usc at this point all right. Well, great stuff here on the podcast. Uh, got some new internet here, just ready to be installed. So we're gonna have to cut this short. Uh, I think that was all the questions we had anyway, right, Keely? There's we're not. Yep. Not really cut it short. Um, well, faster internet next time we do the podcast. That'll be great. But our live shows is gonna help a lot. Uh, like I said, Brandon Sosna will be uh, coming up on Thursday. I have a recruiting one a little bit later this evening. We're gonna record, so we'll check. You guys can check that out up on uscfootball.com. But uh, Keely, thanks again for hosting and uh, coming on in the, this world of social distancing where we're not in the same room anymore, which I'm kind of looking forward to getting back in the same room with you. Is that is that bad? No, I mean, I, I want to get back in the studio, counting down the days, even though there's no official countdown. <laughs> yeah, just seeing you guys out, like covering the game on your vlog for the Holiday Bowl was great. Uh, and I, yeah, I had a thing on my Instagram feed where it's just like, a year ago you were at, the Beach Life Festival, watching Sugar Ray, USC grad Mark McGrath and Sugar Ray, uh, and this huge crowd of people. I'm like, it just looks weird now. Like, crowd of people? Like, that's that, that's not allowed. Like, oh, yeah, that was a year ago. It, it was okay. That, right? It's crazy. Uh, Dan, thank you. Enjoyed it very much. Yeah, you're right. I think 
I think uh, uh, the big concerts might be the very last thing to 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 return. It just looks like uh, concert season is is going to be on pause for a good bit. Yeah, I want to sit down at a restaurant. I grabbed lunch today. It took like an hour, like takeout at this Mexican place, and I was like. Are you kidding me? Like, I just want to sit down and have someone bring me my drink and chips and salsa and have a burrito. I just want that, you know? I just miss that. Uh, but hopefully we'll get there soon and uh, we can all get, get somewhat back to normal. And obviously we really want college football to be back around. So that'll wrap it up. Keely, you're Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 